Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you are here in this house, that you are here in this place, and that as we have lifted up your name, thanks to your servants who are with us this morning, um, I pray that you would bless their worship ministry. I pray that you would anoint them. I pray that you would meet their needs, emotional, physical, spiritual, financial, uh, in every possible way so that their ministry would go far further than they ever dreamed of. I pray, O oh God, for the hearts that have been prepared to hear your word, because when, when, when seed falls on bad ground, it does not bear fruit. But I believe that you have prepared our hearts to receive from you the seed, the word, the, 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 the will of God, so that we may respond appropriately, not only with obedience, but also with determination to see your will be done in our life. If there's anybody here this morning who's unwell emotionally or physically or mentally, if there's anybody here who's so burdened something so taking their attention. In the name of Jesus, I pray that the, your peace would just surpass that. Just fill them right now. And let them be set free from that. So that here in this window of opportunity in your presence, that they would be relieved. And they would slowly become addicted to your presence. And thereby begin to live in the freedom and the, the peace that comes from walking in you. Those who are here for the first time, let them feel comfortable that they are with like-minded, broken people who are just trying to make it work. Thanks to your mercy. Speak to us, Lord, we're listening. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So welcome to this new series. We're calling it The Miracle of Mercy. And there's two aspects of it. One is what we're doing on Sunday morning. And the other aspect is what we're going to do in small groups. And I'll talk to you a little bit more about that as we move forward. My name is Jeremy, in case uh, you are here for the first time. And I'm the pastor of this church. Uh, for those of you who have been coming. <laughs> mercy is a beautiful word. God shows mercy when we are ashamed. God shows us mercy when we're angry. God shows us mercy when we're afraid of things that might happen to us. In all these three different situations, God gives us mercy. What I want us to understand is mercy is not just something that it, it is a sad, pathetic side of situation where you're like, Chalo, theek hai, yaar, you go, yaar, no, fine, yaar. it is a lot more powerful and releasing and relieving and renewing. It is a blessing from God. In fact, it is God's most favorite attribute that he puts forward before for anything. It's his gut reactions. It's his default. It's his knee-jerk reaction. No matter what, in what situation, when you come to God, the first thing you get straight from God is mercy. He says, I like mercy more than sacrifice. For whatever reason you need to sacrifice, I would prefer showing mercy. In fact, when you went into the, into the temple courts in the earlier days, when they went all the way in, the high priest that went all the way in, they would sprinkle the blood on what we call the mercy seat. It wasn't called a judgment seat. It is not God's will and desire to judge and condemn. It is God's will and desire to show mercy. He wants to be known as someone who shows mercy. And as you understand the depth and the gravity and the dimensions of these two words, mercy and grace, it will change your life forever. It will not become your religion. It will become your power, your confidence. It will become your power and your confidence. The greatest joy... The greatest joy is to be used by God for a purpose greater than yourself. To be used by God for a purpose greater than yourself. You are not made to live your life. You are not made to live just for yourself. 
In fact, if I, if, I should, if I should go as far as to say, you are not a big enough reason for you to live your life. There's got to be a bigger reason. There's got to be a bigger, greater purpose for your life, which is why God has gifted you with life. God has shaped you. God has shaped you for service. God has shaped you for great things. I don't mean great as in conquer the world great. I mean great as in significant great. I mean great as in it counts. Your life counts. It matters. Everything you do, your relationships, your priorities, the way you go about your day, the produce of your life matters to God much more than you. So God has eternal purposes for your temporal life. God has eternal purposes for your temporal life. God had a plan for your life from before your life and for after your life. You have a plan only for your life. In fact, your plan only spans 25 to 30 years because the bulk of our attention is on our career. You are not a big enough reason for your life. Your life can't be about you. It's got to be about something much, much bigger. The greatest joy is to be used by God for a purpose greater than yourself. Let's look at Romans chapter 6, verse 13. Do you have notes? Do you have notes? Okay, your notes look like this. Okay, I don't have it. As long as you have it. There you go. It looks like bad, cheap photocopying. There you go. There you go. That's the one. Okay, this is a better job. I'll show you this later. All right. Did our band get our celebrities today? Did they get notes? You gave them notes? Oh, I hope it was free. <laughs> Give yourselves completely to... It's page one. <laughs> the other one is page two. Yeah, it is. Page one. Give yourself... Romans chapter 6 verse 13. Give yourselves completely to God. Every part of you. Why? Because you've been brought from death to life and now you want to be used by God for good, for His righteous purposes. You've been bought for a purpose and you've been spent big, big, big value on, not even money, you've been spent big. The blood of Jesus Christ has been shed to the last drop to buy you, to redeem you. When my mother used to buy China, you know, you get this new dinner set. It'll be kept away and we just got to see it in the shelf. <laughs> and when we were eating, we got the Sarojini Nagar cheapo, those plastic plates with scratches and everything that we could just throw frisbees into the, into the washing. So every day we get to use that. But when our grandparents came over and when, you know, guests came over, then the china came out. <laughs> and she'd put all of that in. Leave it. Don't touch it. Don't have anything to because you use something that has been bought with a great price for a greater purpose. You've been bought with a great price. And you've given your life to just your life. And that can't be it. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying there's something greater. A lot greater. Here's the problem. Many secretly feel and fear that God would not possibly use them. Because we're stuck in the past because of past mistakes. 
Every one of us has a past. Every one of us has screwed up. Every one of us is broken. Every single one of us has done something or the other. That, and we look at our track record from the time from our third breath onwards. We look at our track record. Ah, God's never going to use me. If everybody, if that shows up somewhere in the future, if people find out what I was like, if people find out how broken or what I'm capable of, I'm gonna. We think of ministry based on our performance, based on our track record, based on our past. And we all have a broken past. How many people got a broken past? All. We all have a broken past. So we are either disqualified or we are not qualified. So either I think that what I have done and who I am disqualifies me, my background, my, my stature, my gifts, my talent, whatever I have, I feel it disqualifies me or it does not qualify me. Oh, serving God, oh, I can't do that. I can't serve. And it's just my life, you know, I'm a simple, just my life. No, that's pride. That's pride. That's saying you're a solar system and you are the sun. That's saying my life is about me in a very nice way, very humblish looking kind of way, and humblish is not a word. <laughs> so it either disqualifies you or it doesn't qualify you, and you like excuse yourself from wanting to be used by God, saying, no, he would not use me. And most of us feel bad or fear that God will not use you. We only have to look at the life of Paul. Are you familiar with the guy called Paul? In the Bible, the life of Paul to know that both are myths and both myths are blown out the water as soon as you understand where he's coming from. We're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 1 through 18 and we're going to find five ways. We're going to look at five different angles on which Paul absolutely blows these two myths out the water. If you've got your Bibles, if you haven't got your Bibles, it's on the screen. By the way, that's original graphics. That's not Zarema and me. <laughs> Just in case. Just saying. <laughs> Five secrets of staying usable. Five secrets of staying usable. Number one, never forget it's all because of God's mercy. Write it down. Write it down. Never forget it's all because of God's mercy. Got it? Never forget, it's all because of God's mercy. What is mercy? Undeserved forgiveness, unearned kindness. Undeserved forgiveness, unearned kindness. Now look at me. Listen to me. Everything you've ever done, Everything God does in you, everything God does for you, everything that God does by you, everything God does through you is the mercy of God. God acts in mercy. God has been merciful to you. God has loaded you with mercy. God has pumped you. There has been merciful times, merciful ways that God has dealt with you. From the time you were born till now, God has done and dealt merciful with you. The only reason you would not be willing to consider and acknowledge the mercy of God is pride. Pride would be the only reason why should I give my credit to God? Why should I, for what I've worked hard for, what I've been through, why should I give my credit? The only reason why you would not give that credit to God and recognize His mercy is pride. Pride is saying, no, I'm not a product of God's mercy. I'm not here because of God's mercy. I'm here by my own. And even if it were true that you were here by your own skill, by your own hard work, even if you are who you are by your very hard work and your determination, 
Worship is being willing to take all of that and put it at the feet of God and say, Lord, I'm still going to give you the credit. Mercy is undeserved forgiveness and unearned kindness. Number one, the one way, the first secret staying usable is recognizing that everything I have, everything I got, everything I am is because of the mercy of God. It's because of mercy of, of God. Second Corinthians chapter 4, we're looking at verse 1. 1 through 18, we're looking at verse 1. God, underlined, in His mercy. Has done what? He's given us a ministry and a work to do. He's given us a plan. He's given us a work. He's given us a ministry. What is ministry? Oh, taking out everything, leaving all your life and, and plans and careers and dreams and everything and going into serving the church. That's ministry. Uh-uh, no, that's not ministry. That's not ministry at all. Ministry is work. Work is ministry. Anything you do for anybody else that's beyond you. Anytime you're helping someone else. Anytime you're, you're working for someone else's purposes. Anytime you are doing something for someone else, it's ministry. It's service. And God is saying he has a ministry. God has, in his ministry, has given us this ministry and work to do. That's why we do not become discouraged and never give up. So one of the stay usable secrets, the stay usable secrets is you recognize that God in his mercy has given me a life plan. God in his mercy is giving me opportunities to spend my life on opportunities and things and people and, 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 and priorities and purposes that will last a lifetime. That will last a lifetime. That will last eternity. When you use your talents to help others, that's ministry. And you were shaped to serve God. You were shaped to serve God. This is shape. And we do this little inventory. S-H-A-P-E. And usually we let the people do this when they have become a member. And after they become a member, they've grown in the Lord a little bit. Maturity. And then they're ready to serve God in a, in a sense of the attitude is in the right place. We usually get them to do this. This is kind of like an inventory. It's a person like a personality, but it's all put together. S is for spiritual gifts. H is for heart. A is for ability, P is for personality, E is for experiences. God has given us all of that, and God has given us all of that to serve Him. And each and every one of us has a certain shape. And by your shape, you know your ministry. By your shape, you know your ministry. What is your shape? Your spiritual gifts? Your heart, your passion? What abilities you have? The personality you have? And the experiences that you've had ever since you were born? Many of you are going to take this home, you're going to fill it, and you're going to bring, come, in, come back to me with it next week. And we're going to work together and say, how can we get you involved? How can we get you involved? How can we connect you to your ministry? Marry you to your purpose in life. God in His mercy has given us that ministry. I don't deserve to be saved, much less be gifted, but I am a trophy of the grace of God. God not only has saved me in His grace and mercy, but He's saying, here, I want to give you something that puts me on display. Ooh, wow! Did you get that? Not only am I not going to just let you in the house and say, okay, quietly go back to your room and don't tell anybody you're my son. But you can stay in the house. Not only has he let me into the house, he wants you to answer the doorbell and tell everybody else who comes in, I'm the son. Do you get the picture? You have no idea how much God loves you. huh? You have no idea how highly God thinks of you. What an incredible plan he has for you. And his only disappointment 
His only disappointment with you is that you're looking the other way, so he can't show you point, he can't point you to the right way. You're too distracted. That's the only disappointment. Never forget it's all because of his mercy. Once you get that, once you get how much God loves you, how much you how much God has invested in you, there are two benefits to grace. Number one, number one, you don't have to prove your worth anymore. That solves your workaholism issue. You don't have to prove your worth anymore. Let me explain. Right now, you work, you work, you dress, you show, you hard, you work, you invest, you do all of that to show your worth. Everything about your work reflects your worth, and that's what we think because that's the world has told us. That's what the world has told us. We invest in ourselves and present ourselves well because that's, and we work harder. Let's put in a little bit more hard work because everybody's looking at our work and as the output of our work, so we become workaholic and our life becomes about the work and about our output. Whereas our worth should come from how much was paid for us, how much was invested in us. Your worth comes from what's inside from what's inside. So it takes care of workaholism. And the second one it does is, it, you don't have to wallow in your failures anymore because you're covered by mercy. Once you realize you're covered by mercy, from the day you were born to this day, whatever you've ever done and whatever you're going to do is covered. Now listen to me, listen to me. What do you mean by the word covered? The word covered means covered. So when guests come home and you quickly whoo, cover, what is the hope? The hope is that they won't see. Now, if your mistakes, your brokenness, your past, your memories, uh, things that were done to you, things that you did, whatever it is, if it has been covered by grace, I want to tell you from this pulpit that God's mercy is so thick, no one can see through. It's been covered. You are covered. There is no shame. There is no need to wallow in your failures. Neither is it a subject nor an object of God's occupation. I don't have to wallow in my failures and I don't have to prove my worth to anybody. I have to walk in the mercy that God has given. I have to walk in the confidence of the grace that God has given. He says, but you don't know my past. You don't know how bad I am. I know God's mercy. I don't need to know your past. And Paul was brutally honest about it. He says, I thank my Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 1 verse 12 and 13, I thank Christ Jesus because he trusted me and gave me this work of serving him. In the past I spoke against Christ and I persecuted him. This is the guy who with the power of attorney, he walked into churches, grabbed people out and he, Im he imprisoned and killed men, women, children, babies. He destroyed what was the building movement of the church in those days. He was the enemy, he was a terrorist. This is the guy who turns on, and if he doesn't understand mercy, then we're all, we're all lost. This is Paul. And he says, I used to persecute the church, and I did all kinds of things to hurt him, but God, read it, read it, read it, read it, read it, but God showed me. Here's a guy who has received the mercy of God and is living off the mercy of God. Galatians chapter 3, 1 verse 13 and 15. You know what I was like. How violently I persecuted Christians. I did my best to get rid of them. But then something happened. For it pleased God in his kindness to choose me and call me even before I was born. What undeserved mercy. My friend, my brother, my sister, is there any part of you that thinks you deserve the mercy that God 
has dealt you? Because you're cute? Because you went to church all your life? Because you're not as bad as the people sitting behind you? Who you can't see? Is there anything in your heart that might excuse you and think that you are deserving of the mercy of God that was dealt you? And if Paul can get this, you can get this. You may not be as bad as Paul, but all of us are broken. And here's the deal. God has never used a perfect person. God has never used a perfect person. Why? Because there aren't any. Do you know any? There aren't any. The Bible is filled with people who are imperfect that God used. Abraham was old and he lied. Jacob was a compulsive liar. Leah was ugly. That's all I got on her. <laughs> Joseph was abused. Gideon was poor. He was the poorest kid in his family. Samson was a reckless codependent. Rahab was a prostitute. She shows, she shows up in the hall of faith. Elijah was suicidal. Jonah was fearful and reluctant. Naomi was an old woman, elderly, widowed. Jeremiah couldn't stop crying. Anytime you turned in his direction, he started crying. His short form is Jeremy. David had an affair and had his mistress husband killed. I personally don't understand what the big hype about his affair is. The guy had 3,000 wives. 1,000 wives. Solomon had 3,000. After that person has 1,000 wives, I don't know which affair you're talking about. <laughs> but David had an affair then goes and kills his mistress's husband. John the Baptist was eccentric to say the least. Peter was impulsive and had anger issues. Major anger issues. Martha worried a lot. Samaritan woman had several failed marriages. Zacchaeus had a, he was a scam artist. Thomas, big question mark. <laughs> Timothy was a wuss. Paul, hey Paul, Paul's disciple. <laughs> Woo. Timothy was a wuss. <coughs> and Moses, David, and Paul, murderers, big names in the Bible. Moses, David, Paul, murderers. They killed, actually killed people. How are you doing? Are you doing, you doing okay? Feeling, feeling a little holy and... <laughs> it is God himself who has made us what we are and given us is new lives from Christ Jesus. And long ages ago, he planned that we should spend our life watching TV. Doing what? Helping others. Helping others. God has given you one life. God has given you a few years. He's given you an eternity after that. Your eternity is yet future. All of eternity is much greater than this life you lived. God wants you to live this life for him so that you can spend the rest of your life for yourself. He's giving you eternity so that you can give him this life. He says, give me this life, I'll give you eternity. It's called eternal life. 
Number one. Never forget his mercy. Number two, be real. Number two, be real. Write it down. Shouldn't take you too long. It's only two words. Be real. Be real. Be authentic. Be genuine. Be yourself. God doesn't want to fake you. God doesn't want to second you. God doesn't want a new and improved you. God wants you as you are. Same old as you are. Scratches, warts, brokenness, chips, every, as you are. Many of us want to come to God and then want to become something else. For ministry's sake, we want to be like somebody else. If you're going to be like somebody else, you're going to have to have that person's ministry, not your own. If you're going to be that person's ministry, you'll always be frustrated, get it? Because you're not doing your ministry. You're not shaped for somebody else's ministry. So when you try to be somebody else, you try to do something else's, somebody else's call. God wants you as you are, as you are. So God wants, and your qualifying factor is you. Be you. God wants you. I don't know if you get that, but God wants you. God did not create you to be someone else. God doesn't use fakes. He doesn't use phonies. He doesn't use posers. He doesn't use pretenders. He wants you to be exactly who you are. Come as you are. Be used as you are. Every brokenness, every memory, every minute. He doesn't want you to cover anything, share, change anything, change the story, wrap up the story, brush up the story, fabric. No. As you are, come to him. Don't wear a mask. Don't pretend. Just be yourself. If you try to pretend, if you try to be someone else, number one, it's going to stress you out. Well, number one, it's going to stress you out. I, I, I went into this party type place where everybody's gathered, and someone went and told them that I was an amazing pianist. Some person, that was a friend of ours, and, 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 and they were standing there, one couple, husband and wife, and they told, had told everybody that's an amazing pianist. I'm not. I can't, I can't read music. I do not play the keyboard. I can punch chords. So the truth is, I can't say I can't play the keyboard, you know? Because I can, that would be a lie. But I'm not what she's saying I am. But then in that given situation, when I just walked into the room, and this was a long time ago, and she and, 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 she, uh, uh, she and her husband, she was, both of them like he was, had already told the story, and I didn't want to embarrass them, so I kept up the charade. <laughs> I'm like, maybe. And then there was a piano in the house. And the whole evening I was stressed. Whole evening I would avoid the piano like nobody's business. Whole evening I was stressed. You put on a show, you become something you're not. Whole time you're going to be worried about how you're going to keep up with that. Number two, number two, you're going to be worried about getting exposed. Exposed, you're going to be worried about getting exposed. Number three, you start manipulating people around you to keep up the charade. Forget it. Forget it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Paul says, we don't try to trick anyone. Verse 2. And we don't twist the word of God. Instead, we teach the truth. Say it. Plainly. We're not trying to put on a show here. We're not trying to tell you something that's more than it actually is. Come to Jesus. Your life will be amazing. Your best life now. Everything is going to be God. In the name of Jesus, you can just command every problem out of your life. Rubbish. That is wrong. That is rubbish. Every follower of Jesus Christ, every believer has absolutely all the problems and every problem that everybody else has. You're not special. What's different about you is what's inside you. And that is the mercy of God. The mercy of God is inside you. The spirit of God is inside you. And you become more resilient and you come out better and stronger. 
through the same problems that everybody else is going through. And you get to shine for eternity. Are you with me? We don't put on a show. We don't tell us a message that isn't actually true. Just to get people off for any reason. So what does he say? We tell plainly who you are. Showing everyone who we really are. You come here. This is us. This is us. Broken warts and all. Can't smile. Can't do anything. Bathroom singers. Here, this is it. Here, here we are. But we love Jesus. But we love Jesus. And we recognize the grace of God, the mercy of God. Then they can know in their hearts what kind of people we are in God's sight. In God's sight. So we don't trick people. The antidote. The antidote to the worst problem you and I have. The problem of fear. The problem of fear. Is the mercy of God. Your greatest problem is fear. And your greatest solution is mercy. When you understand the mercy of God, you will have no fear. You will have no fear because you are covered. When you are completely covered, you're never worried about being exposed. When you're completely backed up, you're never worried about being condemned or judged. When you're totally loved, you have no place for more love. Too much love will kill you. There's no such thing as too much love. When God has loved you, He loves you completely. And once you're loved completely, you won't live for anybody else's love. In fact, you'll be too busy loving to be keeping track of anybody else's love. Are you getting this? It frees you. It completely sets you free. Your greatest, greatest uh, weapon against fear is the mercy of God. The spirit we receive does not make us slaves to fear again. It makes us children of God. It makes us children of God. So when you realize God has pumped so much into you, your life becomes about Him. And number three, you remember, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about me. My life, it's not about me. Life is not about me. This universe is not about me. That's living counterculture, by the way. Write it down. It's not about me. It's not about Remember that it's not about me. Every time you forget that, put it on a plaque, stick it up somewhere, put it in the most prominent places where you spend most of your time, toilet, whatever. It's not about me. Look at Second Corinthians chapter four, verse five, verse five. Our message is not about ourselves. It is about Jesus Christ as the Lord. We are merely his servants for Jesus' sake. Paul uses that word over and over and over again. For Jesus' sake, for Jesus' sake, for Jesus' sake. But you're living in a culture that's countercultural to this truth. You come here, you sit in this basement, and you hear it's not about you. But the moment you get out, you receive an SMS. Look good, feel great with this massage, or that growth, or that hairdo. I, how, I don't know how they got my number knowing I was bald. I don't know how they do that. How do they do that? Did you tell them? How do they know I needed hair? But they're like, transplant, hair transplant. And everybody from, from the aesthetics department all the way to, to, to the professionals, to institutions, everyone's telling you, you the man. You the man. You need to, pump, you need to present yourself. You, it's about you. The banks are telling you. Advertisements are telling you. And it's a lie because when Satan can get you to be about you, your life is not going to be about the one it really is about. The life giver the author, the one and only. It's not about you. 
And that's where motivation comes from. Motivation comes, the why, the why I live my life comes from that answer. Who is life about? If it's not about me, then I am not about me. The motivation of my life is not about me. It's not for me or about me. How am I going to deal with criticism? It's not about me. Take it up with him. How are you going to deal with failure in life? When things don't work out for you. When things don't go your way. How are you going to deal with things that, that, that happen in your life? When, 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 when worries come. When you're poor sometimes. When you don't get what you want sometimes. When it's not about you, so much more is handleable. But we've got to remember, number three, it's not about me. Verse seven, we are like jars of clay. We are like clay, matkas. Matkas. We are like jars of clay in which the treasure is stored. <laughs> if you're the thinker, you should look at that statement and you say, ah, something's wrong there. Ah, oh, no, no. What do you put something special in when there's a diamond or there's, a, there's gold? What do you put it in? Yeah, you put it in a safe. You put it in something that's worthy, something that's strong, something that defend, can defend itself. Because it's valuable. You don't put something valuable in a matka. <laughs> but God has put something valuable in a matka. God has put something valuable in jars of clay so that what is inside would give the jar of clay value. Now I hold that jar of clay. Now I hold that matka with great sensitivity, value. Now I'm not just throwing it around. Because of what's inside. And that's how believers are supposed to treat each other. Not based on the outside, but based on what's inside. So that now we understand that the outward is wasting away. It's wasting away. But what's inside is being renewed daily. Daily. Every day are you getting old? This morning you saw the mirror. You, you say yes. Every day you're getting old. And in your younger years, every five years makes a huge difference. You know, I can look back ten years and say, yeah, you know, it's, uh, same, fat, fat, same. <laughs> but eight, between five years, ten years, fifteen years, twenty years, big difference. Big difference. And he says, Paul says, the outward, we are like jars of clay, which treasures the real power comes from God and not from us. The real stuff is on the inside. Our frail bodies are wasting away. They are wasting away. Here's the deal. God often puts his greatest gifts in his weakest people. God often puts his greatest gifts in his weakest people. Why? Because that way, he gets to shine. He gets to shine. You and I are so brainwashed, so brainwashed into thinking that the way the world does it is how we're going to do it. The way that, that's how God works. The world takes the best the most handsome, the most beautiful, the wisest, the smartest, the cream of the crop, the top 10%, the, the top 1%, they take the cream of the crop and they glorify them. They glorify them. They put them on a pedestal and say, that's what we are all are supposed to be. So in the church also, in ministry also, we think God takes the most talented, the best looking, the the most amazing people. And God takes them and uses them. And who am I? We are, we are not. God takes the weakest people and puts the greatest treasure in them so that he shines more. 
When you've done it on your own, you've achieved it on your own, you're not going to give him all the glory. You're just not. But God takes the weak. Look at me. Look at me. Look, God, I've been in ministry 25 years now since I first got started. Look at me. I stood there with my teachers and my, teacher, one, and my principal pointed out to the teachers and all the new 12th standard uh, results were out. And is Gadego first division Kazimilia? And she's in front of the whole or is Gadego first division Kazimilia? And they all were all in wonder. And I stood at the back totally in agreement. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, hey. I was in total agreement because I, I was like, how did that happen? And if you know my school life, if you know what I went through, I was the last person you should pick as a pastor. As the last person you should pick to listen to. And God says, well, my, 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 my chemistry teacher, trying to prove how simple the thing is. His, his point was that it is so simple that the fool of the class can answer it. Guess who he picked? <laughs> Jerry, come here. Answer this. And I answered it like a fool. <laughs> and I proved his point. I think God asked the same question. Who's the biggest idiot around here? Who's the weakest person around here? Let me show my glory through that person. Because the vast majority of people are not the, that top cream. So when God goes to work to place his greatest glory, his most, his Shekinah glory in the temple of his, exist, of, his, of his presence, when he goes to place that in a matka, in an earthen vessel, he wants a vessel that will let him shine. And the more cracks, the better. more cracks, the better. You're getting tired. Let's move fast. Let's move fast. The outward, outer is wasting away, as the Bible says. Okay, so number four, number four, use my pain to help others. Use my pain to help others. Look at what Paul says. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Check this out. Five times I received 39 lashes. 39 lashes. Once is bad enough. This guy, can you imagine what his back looked like? Five times he reads the... Then over and above that he says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. This is not like stoned. This is... this is. <laughs> three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. Cast away and all. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, from bandits, from my countrymen, from Gentiles in danger in the city, country. See, wherever you go, geez, this guy's had it rough. I've known hunger, thirst, and often gone without food. I've been cold and naked besides everything else. I also face the daily pressure of my concern for the churches. If you ask Paul, Paul, have you, what, what have you gone through? It's everything. There's nothing I haven't been through. But I will still hang in there and I'll still do my best. I'll still give my best for Jesus' sake. See, that's what happens. Listen to me. I know you're tired, but your spirit and your mind is not tired. Only your body is creeping out on you. And your body is your worst enemy. It robs us of so much blessing. Mental, emotional, and spiritual blessing. Listen to me. Paul figured it out and he was able to go through all of that and not give up, not get discouraged, not give up because he did it for Jesus' sake. 
When your life is about you and for you, when you're doing it for your own sake, you will get discouraged, you will give in, you will give up. Have you met any depressed people lately? Have you met people who are angry, who are bitter, who are frothing at the mouth, that they are just, just sick of everything and the way they have got anger issues, they've got bitterness coming out their ears. What is that real problem? The problem is that they are sick and tired of being sick and tired. They are sick and tired of things not going their way. They are angry with everything and everyone around them. Why? Because their life is about them. Now don't go and tell them that now. <laughs> we don't. His life is about you. You're sick and tired because you're sick and tired and because your life is about you. Selfish bag you are. Don't go and tell them. It's not going to work out for you. But you've got to understand there's two, two things I can, two people I can live my life for. I can live my life for myself, in which case everything's going to be a challenge. Or I can live my life for Jesus, in which case every challenge is going to be a blessing. Every challenge is going to be a blessing. We often suffer, verse 8 and 9, we often suffer but we are never crushed. Even when we don't know what to do, we never give up. In times of trouble, God is with us. Verse 15, all these sufferings for us are for your benefit. See, that's when everything changes. That's when everything changes. That's when you're saying it's for Jesus' sake, it's for others. Listen to me very carefully. Listen to me carefully. Paul says, I can keep going on because what I'm doing, I'm doing for you. Paul says, I would rather go to Jesus and be in heaven with him, but he says, I would rather here because of your sake. Listen to me. Many of you have gone through a lot of difficult times, a lot of pain, a lot of humiliation. You've, you've, you've had losses. When you take that pain and you're willing to let God use that pain, that brokenness, that place of where you're coming from and use it for others, to help others, to serve others, it's called redemptive pain. It's called redemptive pain. You don't know the horrible stuff has happened in my life. Yeah, but you can redeem that. The secular psychologist is saying, yes, Pastor Jerry, you're absolutely right. We need to channel the pain like Shaolin Temple and all that. You need to channel. No, 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 no. No Shaolin Temple, nothing. <laughs> nothing of the sort. This is not channeling your pain. This is saying my pain is in God's hands and God is going to birth a ministry out of my pain. God is going to birth a ministry out of my pain. You're a lot more authentic when you're just you and when you serve out of your brokenness. You're a lot more authentic. When you serve out of your amazingness and when you serve out of your great education, no one buys it. No one buys it. Because what people really want is you. When, you, when your pain benefits somebody else, it's called redemptive pain. So he says, Paul says, daily, daily we are renewed on the inside. Why? Why? He says, because... God is producing in us immeasurably great glory that will last forever. I'm closing. I'm closing. Underline that word. That will last forever. That will last forever. Number five, stay focused on eternity. Stay focused on eternity. When you've got your eyes on eternity, your temporal life will have meaning. When you've got your eyes on eternity, your temporal life will have meaning. The reality is you lose all your perspective when you're tired and oftentimes you'll want to resign. But the reason you keep going on is because 
All of this counts, and it counts for eternity. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, these little troubles, <laughs> Paul calls all of that little troubles. You should put your list of troubles and his list of troubles, and name his little, and recalibrate yours. The little troubles are getting us ready for eternal glory. Underline eternal glory. Eternal glory. What is glory? Shining. What is eternity? Long time. How long are you going to shine? Long time. So your jar of clay for another 30, 40 years, and for eternity, You look past your problems to the reward, the eternal. That's how Jesus endured the cross. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1. Only he who sees the invisible can accomplish the impossible. How do you sustain this? I'm going through a difficult time. You're going through a difficult time. How do we sustain this? You sustain this through small groups. Being in a small group, being in a fellowship group that strengthens one another to say, we're doing this for eternity. We're doing this for eternity. You can't do anything on your own. You've got to be in a small group. You've got to be in a small group. So what we want to do <clears throat> we want to put, we want to use this material as we study mercy to get small groups started. And small group is a little family. Brothers from another mother kind of deal. And this has got six lessons. And we're going to study this in small groups. And I'm not going to lead it. You're going to lead it. The five marks of mercy. Mercy forgives the fallen. Mercy helps the hurting. Mercy is patient with difficult people. You know any difficult people? You are the difficult people. Mercy is kind to enemies. Mercy cares for them. Each one, every week, we get together. And there's a video you watch, and then you discuss this. Four or five, six, seven, eight people. And I want to give you the opportunity to say two things to God today. Lord, I want to recognize that who I am and what I am is because of your mercy, and I want that mercy to change my life. Change the perspective, change my outlook. I want to do, live for Jesus' sake and not for my sake. You don't have to say big words. You can just think it and it'll be done. The second thing is, Lord, I need to hook up with others who feel the same way. Because when I go back to my home, when I go back to my office, when I go back to my colony, I don't find people with the same mindset. I need to give myself, commit myself to a group of people that heard the same message, if you know what I mean. These two big decisions you want to make today. And if you're going to do that, I want you to meet us here. If you're going to willing to be part of a small group study for the next six weeks, I don't want to put you in a group because it's your commitment. But if you come there, just meet up with us over there, we'll get groups together. And just whoever gets together, one of you can just play the video. I, 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 just play. <laughs> Somebody can serve the coffee or pay for the coffee. And the other person can close in prayer. That's all you got to do. So you can start small groups like that. But why do you want to be in a small group? Because they're real touchy-feely people. And you can study and talk together. And I won't be there. So you can actually get to talk <laughs> with each other. So this is the commitment I want you to make today. Not only to say, Lord, I want your mercy to change my life. Are you ready to make that commitment? Is anybody here? God has spoken to you that you're ready to make that commitment. The second commitment is, I'm going to be in a small group for the next six, six weeks. Next six weeks, I want to be in a group. You choose your group, you get together, I'll give you the material, you go for it. You can start a group. You can say, I have five people there, I want to, yeah, that's no problem. And you do that. With every head bowed and every eye closed.
God's presence being here. If you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, if you've never acknowledged the mercy that God showed you by sending Jesus to the cross and paying for you such a great price, then I want you to acknowledge that mercy today by saying this simple prayer. Father God, I recognize that I am broken. But I want to recognize even greater than my brokenness, your mercy. And today, the 7th of May, 2017, I acknowledge the mercy of God over my life. I acknowledge that all my brokenness and my wickedness and my rebellion and my self-centeredness has been covered by the mighty mercy of God. And this was your will that you don't judge me, but that you show me mercy. And I also want that from today onwards, my life will be about your mercy, not my past. Today I make that commitment to you. Today I give you my life. From today onwards, I want to live for your sake, not my sake. Maybe you want to pray this prayer. Lord, I don't want to join a small group. I don't have the time. I can't make the commitment. I don't want one more thing to fail at. But Lord, I know I need it. I know I can't do this on my own. But I also don't trust anybody. Lord, would you give me a small group of people who will figure out what and who I am. A place where I'll be comfortable, a place where I can trust. Because I know I need it. Help me find the right group to work with. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.